How's it going? I'm Xander Fryer, just another millennial corporate dropout turned entrepreneur. Since quitting my day job as an engineer just over four years ago, I built a multi-million dollar coaching business, mentoring seven-figure business owners, professional athletes, award-winning musicians, Hollywood actors, best-selling authors, and hundreds of aspiring entrepreneurs. I truly believe that when we couple the right knowledge with a strong desire for action, anything is possible. But most of us are never given the right knowledge, the shit you don't learn in college. The Sidlik Podcast shares interviews from the world's most successful people in business, finance, sports, health, and entertainment in order to help you live a life filled with more money, more meaning, and more freedom than you ever thought possible. Get ready to learn the shit you don't learn in college. All right, all right. How's it going, friends? Welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. I'm your host, Sander Fryer. And today we're going to be talking to my new good friend, Mike Milner. Now, Mike has been a high level nutrition coach for almost 10 years. He's worked with over a thousand people to help them transform their lives and their health. He has a gift for understanding the psychology and the physiology needs of his clients, which has led to thousands of success stories. And his personality based approach with an emphasis on mindset has been featured in Nutritional Coaching Institute, Ever Forward Radio, True Transformation, and many others. You guys are going to love this episode. In it, we're going to talk about the five neurotransmitters that affect how you succeed in not just your health, but every area of your life. Four ways to tell if you have an unhealthy relationship with food and how to fix it, the power of your words to program your identity and how to change who you are, and why visualizations and affirmations don't work for so many people. And don't forget, we only spread our message when you share this knowledge with others that need it. So if you enjoy this episode, please share it on your social and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. And for all of our Shit You Don't Learn in College fans out there, if you've gotten any value from this podcast, don't forget to go to Amazon and grab the Shit You Don't Learn in College book, number one bestseller, available now. All right. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. I'm your host, Xander Fryer, and today we're going to be talking to my new best friend, Mike Milner. Mike, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Now, you've got some some really cool ideas, some really cool concepts uh, when it comes to health and wellness, mental wellness, physical wellness, and it all comes comes back to that mind, the space between your ears. Now, I wanna, I'm going to dig deep into that, but before we get into that, I'd love to hear a little bit about you know, your story, how you got into to what you do and, and how you got to this point today. Yeah, for sure. So I think starting point, I grew up an athlete, played pretty much everything, tennis, basketball, soccer. And I grew up in a family environment where I considered myself the lucky one because most of my family had issues with dieting, body image issues, eating disorders. Uh, my oldest sister, unfortunately, almost lost her life to anorexia. And, and wow. fortunately, uh, was able to overcome that battle. And I just saw it in many different forms and was like, well, I'm an athlete. I play sports all the time. I have a fast metabolism. I don't have to worry about any of this. This is, stuff. This is a non-issue for me. Yeah. It's not an issue, right. So uh, until it was an issue and and that happened really after college. Uh, so I picked up some, some traditional habits that, uh, you know, college kids do eating, drinking like an asshole and then finding <laughs> myself significantly overweight after I was no longer playing organized sports. So yeah. You know, it was just sitting on my ass a lot, eating a lot. And then it felt like overnight, I, I woke up one day and I remember going to the bathroom, looking in the mirror and being like, 
holy shit, I don't recognize. What, what the hell person. just happened? Yeah. Yeah, like, who, who is this? And a lot of my identity was wrapped up in being an athlete. So I had this fear of how am I going to go home and, and see my friends who haven't seen me in a while? What are they going to say? And what comments are they going to make? And how am I going to explain this? So my thought process was, okay, I need to get this weight off as fast as humanly possible so yeah. I can get back to being me. And that led me down the rabbit hole of fad diets, crash dieting, doing hours of cardio and trying to like hate myself lean. Hate, hate yourself into the body you wanted. Exactly. Exactly. And it was never shocking. It was never sustainable. It never lasted. I always gained the weight back. And eventually I kind of crawled out of this dark place where I had developed some eating disorder tendencies, some some body image issues, just not being even when I was able to get really lean, I still was never satisfied. It was never yeah. enough. There was always a next level and I just kept pushing and kept pushing. And then I would rebound back, start the cycle all over again. Eventually I figured some things out and that was what led me to want to pay it forward and recognizing I was, I was at a local gym and had never considered that this would be my career path. But uh, the, the guy who owned the gym called me one day and I was sitting in my office and he was like, yo, Mike, have you, have you ever thought about being a trainer? It's like, haven't but now that you say that i feel like i have you know i've had this transformation of my own it would be really yeah. cool to pay it forward and long story short I, I kind of found my passion was more on the nutrition side than it was the training side yeah and that's really where i poured into researching human metabolism and nutritional science and all these fascinating concepts but there was still something missing i started working as a nutrition coach for another company and despite having all the knowledge in the world my clients and their clients were still struggling. A lot of them were going through the same cycle that I had found myself in. They were losing weight, gaining it back. They were frustrated, constantly feeling defeated, feeling like a failure, having their own set of, of body image issues. I'm like, there, there's something that there's a missing piece. And I know that I can figure this out. So I just started having conversations, like one-off conversations with people. And it always came back to their mind, to their brain. Yeah. And their thoughts around food and their thoughts about their body and their thoughts about what they could and couldn't do. And once I started having these conversations and, and digging into all of the mindset stuff, and I know that mindset is such a buzzword and it's very cliche to say, but it was really like, let's let's look at what's going on under the hood. And taking that route, it, it changed everything. And yeah. then being able to apply that to an actual process, which I came up with uh, through understanding someone's personality and what that means about their brain chemistry and then attaching that to a nutrition and training plan and a lifestyle approach that works for them as individuals and starting to treat people as individuals, uh, the results just skyrocketed. And that kind of led me to starting my own business, which I've had for a little over four years and a lot of success in the client. We've helped over a thousand people and just continue to have an incredible uh, level of success with our clients that come in through the program. Yeah, I, I I love that. And what do you? So I, I want to dig into this whole idea of like you know the mind, the brain having such a significant impact on this, right? Because you know your your book, Mind Over Macros, and and everything you're talking about from a nutritional standpoint, you can do all the right nutritional things, you can do all the right um, training things, but it, it can still fail, or they can still regress, or they can still fall back. So so tell me about like what's going on there. Why why does this happen to people all the time? Because there's probably people listening to this that are like, that's me, like. I was that guy who was fit in college and then I, I stopped doing this. Or I was that girl who was fit in college and then 
you know, after, you know, after I stopped doing X, Y, Z, it, it all came back. And now I have these thoughts, these, these beliefs around food. So tell me what's really going on there. Yeah. Oftentimes, and, and there's several different root causes, but oftentimes it comes back to the belief system that we have about ourselves that we typically pick up on from a very young age yeah. and kind of have this internal, like I am statement. And for yeah. a lot of us, based off of how we were raised or our, our environment or our social setting, usually it's something along the lines of, I am not good enough. I am not worthy. I am not lovable. I am not accepted. And we carry this I am statement around with us wherever we go. And we seek out subconsciously ways to prove that correct. Like we want to make that accurate because if that's not true, then our whole internal belief system was just shattered. And that's a really uncomfortable place to be, to look in the mirror and be like, everything that I thought well, about myself is no It's funny because you, you brought up kind of a, a subtly different one, right? You were, I am the lucky one because I'm fit. I, right. I am good. I am happy because I'm fit, right? And then as soon as you didn't have that anymore, you go, oh shit, like I've tied my entire identity to that. Now I've lost it. I have to force myself back into that rather than fixing the thought. Correct. Yeah. So even, you know, sometimes we can have it where it's flipped on its head because of the evidence that we have to the contrary. And typically when somebody has a I am statement, that's I am not worthy, I am not successful, whatever it may be, and you start to accumulate evidence to the contrary, a lot of times we end up sabotaging ourselves to bring it back to confirm and validate that internal belief system. So if you've ever been like, and this happens to people in business all the time, it's like, I'm doing really well, I'm crushing, I'm making all this money. And then I just blew myself up. And I like, for some reason, I overextended myself, I burnt myself out, and I crashed my business to the ground. And they don't never, know what never happens to anybody as an entrepreneur. They every it's always good months. It's always easy. It's always fun. Yeah. <laughs> and so then they're they're sitting there wondering like what happened? How do I pick up the pieces? And really it's <laughs> You sabotage yourself subconsciously to confirm or validate this I am statement. Mm. And so a lot of it starts with what do you actually believe about yourself? And then can we challenge that? Do we have evidence to the contrary? Is, that, is it based on fact and logic? Uh, where did that start? Where did you start to identify that that was the truth about yourself that you believe? And, and really having those conversations opens up a lot of answers, especially when it comes to food. And, and yeah. Nutrition and training, those are just vehicles to what we're trying to accomplish in life, which is we want, you know, happiness, fulfillment, joy. Uh, we want, you know, to live by our values. And a lot of times, you know, it's a great vehicle. Nutrition and fitness are a great vehicle to accomplish those things. But uh, we develop these patterns around food and exercise that can often be pretty disordered, uh, yeah. whether it's using food as comfort because of a, you know, family dynamic that was uh, dysfunctional and food was the thing that I could control to feel like I had something in my life that was dependable. Uh, so we we have all these patterns and these ways of utilizing food and, and exercise in, in not the most productive way. So it comes back to how can we identify, right? Awareness is the first step. If, if you don't know it, you can't change it. And then what can we insert as a more productive outlet to accomplish the same goal? Yeah. You know, and I think it was, I think it was Brian Tracy that said the most powerful words in the English language or whatever comes after the two words, I am, right? Because that's really what's programming our identity. Like you mentioned, I am not worthy. I am not confident. I am, I am, I, whatever those things might be, right? So 
you mentioned first just kind of becoming aware of it. How do we actually change that identity? How do we shift that identity so that we can we can shift the behavior, everything? Yeah, so it's a great question, and uh, you know something that I think as you go through your your life evolution, you start to recognize once you're aware of it that it's probably not rooted in much truth or fact. It's probably something that was externally acquired by yeah. something that somebody told you. Um, I, had a, I had a story of a when parent, I was in high school. A cousin, a, a friend, be, yeah, parent, a teacher, yeah. the so media. That was my story. I, you know, I had an a English teacher in high school who basically told me that I was a terrible writer. And she wasn't very subtle about it at all. And her external words became my internal dialogue. So I always assumed I couldn't write. And I went through life, high school, college, into my, my career, you know, professional career, not writing. And it's really difficult to get good at something when you're not doing it. So it was like confirming this belief, this pre-existing belief. Well, once I was forced to write, I was working, I don't even remember what job it was at the time, but I was forced into a writing assignment. And I'm like, oh shit, how am I going to do this? I'm, I'm a terrible writer, but I didn't have a choice and I did it. And it actually was pretty good. And I was like, why did I believe that I couldn't do this assignment? And I remembered back to that moment in you know sophomore year of high school, when my English teacher tells me that I'm not a good writer. And I'm like, my entire life, I've been believing this thing about myself with no evidence to suggest that that's true because I haven't been writing since then and practicing and trying to hone that craft. So I made it a mission at that point. Like, I kind of enjoyed doing that. What if I tried doing it consistently? Hmm. And I started writing daily and I got pretty good at writing. And now I have a, a book that's, you know, it was a bestseller on Amazon. So it was like all of a sudden these this internal belief became completely flipped on its head. Yeah. So that to answer the question, you you look at the I am blank statement. You're aware of it. Now let's go back and see where did this come from and is it based in truth or is this just something that was an external uh, you know source that i then began to believe about I, myself i made and some decision because of the emotional intensity of it to to keep yeah. that as my new reality yeah exactly and then more importantly can we find evidence to the contrary because yeah. you've probably been successful at certain things in life <laughs> you probably have evidence mounting that that's not true uh, and then we start to shape like, what do you want to believe about well, yourself? That's, see, that's what I love right there. It's not even if you don't have evidence that it's not true. Like when you tell your story, kind of the the really cool thing that I heard was a, a curiosity to see if it could be not true. Right. And I think that's I think a lot of people get caught up in that. You know, maybe maybe they do have this story that, you know, I have bad genes and I'm forever overweight. Right. And, you know, that maybe they don't have evidence that shows that this is not true. But you also had a belief of like, well, what if I can actually just see if this is not true? And I think that just that curiosity can open up doorways for a lot of people that they never thought were possible. That's it. You just need that that little opening to then be able to, you know, see what's what's behind this door and then hopefully, you know, kick it open and walk through. So that's that's the key right there yeah. is challenge it. You have awareness. Let's challenge it. Let's look at the logic behind it. Is it rooted in any sort of truth? Usually. That's not the case because remember, our thoughts aren't truth. Like we often immediately what you, think. What do you mean? Not everything that I think I, in my brain is 100% true? Right, which is often what we think. It's like, <laughs> well, I had a thought, so it has to be true. Most of the time, I would say the majority of the time, there there is no truth behind it. It's just a thought. I, was, um, I always know, tell people, you know, at some point, everybody on the face of the earth believed that the earth was flat. Exactly. Didn't make it true. 
even though yeah. everybody believed it. Yeah, 100%. So, so we go through that process and then it's like, let's, let's see what the other side tells us. Can we, can we find evidence to the contrary? And if not, can we get curious about what that contrarian view might look like? And, and let's start to open that door a little bit and walk through it. I love that. Now, so when we're talking about, you know, neurotype training or personality training and things like that, what are some of the different like neurotypes or personalities that that you kind of work with and and how specifically can you help those types of people when it comes to training, getting healthy, losing weight, getting fit? What 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 is how does that play out? Yeah, so what I had identified was that the best diet, the best nutrition plan, the best training plan in the world does not matter if you can't adhere to it, if you can't yeah. stay consistent. And I, you know, we spend the, the diet industry is a multi-billion dollar industry for a reason because it's brilliant marketing and wanting to lose weight and get healthy and get fit. It's a very emotional and vulnerable state to be in. So when you're being marketed to like, here's the solution, like this is the fix, the, the quick fix. And it plays on our need for instant gratification. Quick, yeah. Quick but, answers. Faster, the better microwave solution, magic pill. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, we're, we're trying to put everybody in the same box. Here's the best diet in the world. And again, the best diet in the world, even if it existed, even if there was the perfect way of eating, it wouldn't matter if you couldn't adhere to it. Or if you had to, let's say, give up everything that's important in your life, which is what a lot of people do, which is what I did, which I was like, when I was going through my obsessive phase of nutrition and trying to get leaner, and and had really poor, uh, really poor relationship with food and with my body. I would tell friends that I was sick and I couldn't go out with them. They would go out to get drinks. Hey, you want to come hang? No, I'm sorry, I'm not feeling well. And I would stay home and eat my chicken and broccoli. And it, it, at the time, I was I was married, and it was a huge wedge in our relationship because I was so obsessed with food and exercise and didn't want to do anything. It's like, well, we can't go on a, a vacation because how am I gonna? Wow track my food. How, how am I, I going to, how am I going to keep to the things that I want to, that I want to keep exactly. to? Yeah. Yeah. So again, we have to address like, how does this fit within your lifestyle? Uh, when, I, what I figured out was that the way that you're wired, your, your brain chemistry and, and what like neurotransmitter systems are dominant within each individual, give us a lot of insight into what will be easier to adhere to. And at the end of the day, that's really all we care about is something that you can be consistent with that fits within your lifestyle. And that's going to look different for everybody. So there's no, like everybody hates when I say the answer to most questions when it comes to nutrition and fitness is it depends because it really does depend on the individual, but we can learn a lot from your personality type, uh, especially looking at certain neurotransmitters and how those drive behaviors. For example, like a lot of people know dopamine as like the, the pleasure seeking neurotransmitter, uh, that, that drives motivation and, most of us seek dopamine uh, without effort, which is a, a really bad idea. Um, however, if you are a dopamine-driven individual, which means your, your dopamine system drives a lot of your behavior, that might look like extrovertedness, uh, risk taker, somebody who's a natural leader, um, a very vocal and just outgoing person. For that individual, telling them to like follow a very structured and linear plan is going to drive them nuts. Yeah. They need to be goal driven. You need to set challenges for them. They need to be mentally stimulated. Otherwise, they're going to get bored and they're just going to go do their own thing. Yeah. Uh, so we find little subtleties in personality types like that, like type A personalities. Uh, we break it down into five categories, which is all dependent on which 
neurotransmitter system drives most of your behavior. So mm -hmm. dopamine is one, adrenaline is one, serotonin is one. We look at glutamate. Uh, we look at what is the system that's driving your personality and your behaviors, and then how can we align your nutrition and training in a way that fits within uh, you know, that personality type to make consistency and adherence much easier to come by. That's very cool. Um, you mentioned, I want to dig into this a little bit deeper. You mentioned some of the, some of the things that came up for you that you started to realize you had a poor relationship with food. Um, I, I think there's probably a lot of people out there. It, you know, one of the things that I always mention is like, you can't read the label from inside the bottle, right? Like a lot of people don't realize they have a problem until it's far too late. So for somebody who's out there listening to this, like, yeah, like I, you know, I'm pretty strict on my diet or I'm pretty good at this, but like, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm going down that path and I don't want to, like, what would you say is like the, the signs of a poor relationship with food and how does that show up? Obviously you mentioned like literally not wanting to go on vacations with your, your wife because of like macros and things like that. How else does it show up for people? Cause I'm sure, you know, based on those five different types, you could see it, you know, all over the spectrum for different stuff. Yeah, a big one is stress around food decisions. Mm. Like, should I eat this or not? And it's like a stress. Oh, you know, we're out and the the waiter, you know, we're out to eat and the server's coming around asking if people want dessert. And you're like watching everybody go. And then you're like, oh shit, what do I do? Do yeah. I get dessert or not? And you're starting to stress out about the decision instead of just like, yeah, I'll have it or no, I don't want that. Yeah. Uh, it's I think that's, pretty that's, a, that's a great baseline. Even that alone is super helpful. What else? Yeah. And then after eating something, what are your feelings? Like, do you, do you feel guilt or shame around certain food choices? So sh let's say you ordered the dessert and then you ate it and then you're like, oh man, I really shouldn't have done that. Now I feel, now I'm going to have to do extra cardio. I'm going to have to, you know, hit my, hit the gym twice tomorrow. And if you start thinking about how you have to earn back your calories or burn yeah. off your calories, like that's, that's a red flag. Um, and even, uh, with, with family dinners, a lot of times we'll have clients who say that they never felt comfortable uh, having dinner with their family because they couldn't eat the same things. So they're like, well, I was going to make this for my kids, but well, I can't, I can't eat bread or I can't eat pasta because mm. that's quote unquote bad. So when you start labeling food choices as good versus bad, what's funny, what's funny is there's a, a large body of research that says one of the biggest predictors of, of weight struggle is binary thinking around food. Mm. So if you're labeling, this is a good food, this is a bad food, that's one of a, the easiest giveaways that somebody's going to struggle with their weight versus just, you know, there's certain foods that have better nutrient value. And so I, I probably need more of this and a little bit less of this. And exactly. we'll find a balance. Exactly. Yeah. And everything has, you know, there's a time and place for everything. Uh, so those are, and, and again, like what I went through missing out on life events for the sake of, of hitting your your macros or something like that. If it's like, no, I'm not going to go to this holiday party or I'm not going to go to this social event just because I need to stay perfectly dialed in. And, uh, that, I think that's, you know, the perfectionist mindset oftentimes is, is one of the things we see frequently with clients. Love it, man. I love it. Um, any, is there anything else? I mean, obviously you mentioned you've worked with, you know, a thousand people to help them get there. What are, what are some of the biggest things, obviously getting, getting the, the plan that works for them, helping them figure out how they think to, to actually do it. Is there anything else that you think has just been an absolute game changer to help people in the health and wellness space that just people just don't know of that they need to know? It's probably going to sound really simple. And when I say it, most people will roll their eyes at me. Uh, but there's two things in particular that are really how you approach this whole thing that makes a world of difference. And again, this is like base level. 
it's going to sound really basic. So first is expand your time horizon because everybody goes into this thinking that they need to achieve their goals in the next 30 days or the next six weeks. But the reality is if you want to maintain your results for life, we should probably be approaching this as a lifelong pursuit. So here's a quick like reality check is if I can't see myself doing this forever, why am I doing it for 30 days? Yeah. Because once you go past that 30-day mark and you default back to what you were doing before, you're going to lose the results that you got in the 30 days anyway. So assess, can I see myself doing this forever? Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a time and a place to experiment and try things to see how it works for you. But there's a difference between a scientific approach of like, I'm going to see what happens here. It's the, versus it's the curiosity the, you and I were talking about. Yeah, exactly. Versus the the restrictive mindset of, okay, I can't. <laughs> drink alcohol for 30 days uh, because of whatever reason. I told myself that I couldn't do it. And then I'm going to do it for 30 days and bail and go back to square one versus just saying like, I wonder what would happen if I gave up alcohol for 30 days, because now you're approaching it with, let's see how this feels versus this is what I have to do. And the other thing is stop trying to change everything all at once. Literally take the, the next step. What's the one thing that you can realistically do. Because again, if this is a lifelong pursuit and we're trying to instill behavior change and new habits that last forever, instead of like everybody does this at New Year's, they, they make their New Year's resolution. They're like, all right, I'm going to start going to the gym. I'm going to start eating better. I'm going to you know take my supplements. I'm going to go for walks every day. I'm going to, they have a list of seven different things that they're going to try. And it lasts to. three and a half days. Exactly. Because if you don't check all the boxes, you feel like a failure. So now you're back like, oh, well, I tried. It didn't work. I'm back to square. What if you just did one thing? Like, I always look at it as, and, and sometimes for clients, I'll actually pull up a spreadsheet and I'll show them the, the math. Like, if you have a system that is 99% reliant, like 99% of the time you get the expected outcome that you want. And then you add a second component to that system, even if the second component to the system is also 99% reliant, you've lowered the probability of getting the outcome that you want because now you have two things that need to go right to get the outcome. Imagine you have seven things. Yeah. They're not all 99% dependent. So now the probability of getting your outcome is very low. So I'm like, what if we just start with the one thing that you know you can do consistently and we solidify that until it is a behavior change and it's a habit and you feel really good about that. And then we move to the next thing. So those are two things just from a, from a mindset and how you frame changing your relationship with food, your body, whatever your goals are. And, and this applies for business as well. It applies for pretty much everything in life is expand your time horizon and just do the next thing. I love that, man. Um, you know, we've talked a, a little bit about mindset. We've talked a little bit about identity. I'm, I'm curious, Mike, do you have anything personally that you practice to help yourself with these, these mindset shifts, these identity changes, uh, is there is there something that people can implement sooner rather than later to take away today that, you know, something I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the things that we teach everybody is literally we call them I am statements. It's an identity note card. Right. And I have mine. I've been reading it for, I don't know, six straight years. Right. And I, I swear to God, this little three by five note card is the reason I've been able to build the business that I have today is it just says I am a leader. I am a warrior. I am strong. I have faith. I live my life from a place of love, growth and purposeful action. And people wonder why I always feel like I'm a leader and why I feel like I can take on anything like a warrior and why I feel strong and confident. And, and I always come from love. I mean, they, they wonder why. And I'm like, I've read it multiple times today. 
right? Is there anything like that that you might have that might really help people? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a big fan of journaling. I think it's super helpful just to get your, your thoughts out of your head and start to break down, like, where are those coming from? But outside of that, there's, there's an exercise that I think is one of the most valuable things when you're trying to make a transformation in your identity, but also in achieving your goals. And this is also strongly backed by psychology research. A lot of people look at, you know, we'll call it manifestation as you really want to visualize the end goal. You want to visualize, let's say it's, it's a business. I want to picture the, the million dollar business or the $10 million business, or I want to picture myself logging into my bank account app and seeing that seven figure balance. And the reality is that what psychology research has showed us is that when we picture the end outcome, it creates an emotional response as if we already have it. And that can create a scenario where if you already have it, then you don't necessarily need to work for it. So yeah. The visualization that actually works really well is visualizing the action steps to get it. So instead of thinking like, I have the million dollar business right now, I have the hundred million dollar business right now, think about what actions you would need to go through to get there. And that's what you should be visualizing. Now there's a step further in that process, which is every path or every goal is going to have a friction point or a fork in the road. And if we're using weight loss as the example, we'll go back to, to the dessert question. So a lot of people who are trying to pursue weight loss, uh, they end up in this situation without thinking about it beforehand, and they don't. And then they're caught off guard, and they're like, "Oh shit! What I'm trying to be healthy, and and I want to lose weight, but I really want this dessert." And they end up getting stressed. They don't know what decision to make, rather than actually visualizing those choice points before they happen. Like I got home from work, I was really stressed out, and I can and I can see that I might be wanting to grab a bag of chips or grab the pretzels from the cabinet. So there's that fork in the road. What am I going to do instead? And if you visualize yourself, like I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to go read a book or I'm going to turn, put on some music. I'm going to, and you actually visualize yourself taking the path that you want to choose. And, and how you're going to feel making that decision probably. Yeah. Exactly. So that's one exercise that that's really valuable for whatever goal you're trying to accomplish is uh, instead of picturing, like it's great to have the end goal that we want to accomplish to know where we're going to know what's important to us to know where we want to be but then to think about what are the actions that I'm going to need to take to get there and are what's the the friction points what are those those fork in the road moments can I predict them ahead of time and visualize myself making the right decision I I think that's huge I'm going to steal that from you by the way don't worry I'll give you credit but I'm going to steal it from you of course uh, it's I, definitely I, not this. There's yeah, a lot of you, know, cool you, you hear you hear people like Nick Saban all the time talk about the process, learning to fall in love with the process, right? And as entrepreneurs and things like that, you know, yeah, there's going to be tough points. There's going to be points where we can decide to fall into fear or make make uh, scarcity based decisions versus you know really making the courageous decisions necessary to have the impact and the income we truly want as well, right? But if you can visualize yourself going through that process and enjoying those tough times and making the hard decisions and how you'll feel after making a courageous decision makes those decisions a lot easier. So I think, I think that's brilliant. That's amazing. Thanks for that, man. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. There's a really cool study that was done at UCLA where they had two groups of students and they, they had the one group picture themselves like midterms were coming up. It was like, we want you to visualize looking at the, the grade sheet on the board and finding your name on the sheet and scrolling across and seeing that a plus. Right. And then they had the other group and they were like, we want you to picture yourself studying for the exam. And 
blocking out distractions in your dorm room and you're reading your textbook and and the group that pictured the process of studying performs significantly better on the exam than the group that just pictured the A. So wow. it's like go like picture yourself going through the process to your point, like loving the process and making those difficult decisions uh, has has a huge uh, benefit on the actual outcome. Super cool, man. Super cool. So, uh, you know, obviously someone like yourself who's been through the health ups and downs, you've built an entrepreneurial business. What like now that you've gone through all of this, these transformations, what would you describe success as in your terms? Like how would you define success in life? Yeah, I think it's getting closer to what you want. I think that so many people are afraid to define their own version of success because once you define success, you also define failure. Yeah. And that can be a difficult thing. Like, right, if I if I say this is what I want, then anything that's not that is is a failure. It's failure. No matter it's how failure. close you get. Yeah. Right. So people are afraid to say, like, this is really what I want. And oftentimes that leads us to just chasing more instead of chasing closer. Right. Like when you're building a business and, and I felt I fell into the same trap when I was pursuing weight loss. <laughs> as I did when I was pursuing my business goals. So it was like, I remember being very overweight and thinking that 200 pounds was like the magic number. Then when I got below 200 pounds, it was 190. Then I got below 190, it was below 180, 170, 160. It was never going to stop. I just kept pushing the goalpost back. Same thing with business. I was like, I just want to hit 10K months. Cool, did that. I just want 20K, 30K, 40K, 50, 100K. And it was never like, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in the same mindset. This is never going to be enough. Yeah. Let me actually sit down and, and define what do I actually want out of life? What's important to me? And then it became very clear. Like, I care about my relationships. I care about my family. I care about travel. I care about giving back. I care about supporting causes that are important to me. It's like now when I make a decision, it's, is this moving me closer? Is this moving me closer to what I want? Not just chasing more. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, and that's where it's going to look different for everybody. But my def my personal definition of success is am I daily getting closer to the things that truly matter to and, me? And it sounds like an important piece there is having the courage to really define it, clearly define, define what it. it looks like, not just in money-wise, but relationship-wise and values-wise and travel-wise and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it's, you know, peeling back those layers. If if it's I want $10 million in my bank account, I want, you know, eight figures in my bank account, whatever it may be. Great, but what does that mean? What does that allow you to do? It's the same thing I ask clients and they're like, I want to lose 50 pounds. I'm like, it's not really about the yeah. weight. And I'm like, if I could snap my fingers and give you the 50 pounds of, of weight loss, but you're never allowed to see your kids again, do you take it? And they're like, no, fuck that. Like, of course not. So it's not just about the weight, yeah. right? There's other stuff that's important to you. Like, let's define that. Let's define what you want out of your personal life, out of your you know career, all of that. And you're right, the, the missing piece for most people is having the courage to define it. Yeah, I love that, man. Mike, this has been an absolute pleasure. I think our audience is going to get a ton from this episode. Where can people learn more about you, uh, about neurotype training, mind over macros? Where can they learn about all of it? Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it. Uh, the podcast that I have is called Mind Over Macros. It's on um, every podcast platform. And then the best way to connect with me through social is my um, Instagram. It's at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. If anybody wants to take our personality assessment, you could do that at neurotypetraining.com. And then you can find my book on Amazon, which is called The Personality Diet. Beautiful. Thanks, Mike. And for all of our Shit You Don't Learn in College fans out there, if you've gotten any value from this podcast, don't forget to go to www.sidlickbook.com to grab your copy of the number one bestseller, Shit You Don't Learn in College, the book available now. Mike, thanks so, so much for being on the show, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
All right. That's all we have for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. And if you did, please share this episode on your social media and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. We can only spread our message when you share this knowledge with the others that need it. So we really appreciate the support. Thanks a ton.